Hello, and welcome to Local Legacies, the show where we go behind the scenes with enterprising individuals who are striving for the best in their business, family, community, and themselves. I'm your host, Tim Lanza, and without further ado, here's this week's guest. All right, welcome back, everybody. Today in the studio, we've got Rob Blanchflower here, Blanchflower Construction. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Tim. Dude, thanks for coming down. I'm really excited to talk a little bit and get to know your story a little better and share it with some other people. Awesome. Um, so I guess start out, you know, you're in the construction business now, but you've taken an interesting journey to get to that place. Where would you say that journey kind of started for you? Yeah, so uh, I'd probably say when I was 16, right, I started this, a friend of mine, um, Phil Ween and I, he was a baseball player from uh, Clinton. Great guy. He's, I think he's an Army Ranger now, but um, I should give him a call. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so we started this company. We called it College Contracting Company, and we rented a bunch of equipment from Paul's Rental and Lemister, and we just did a bunch of random jobs. We, like, littered the people's, littered the streets with flyers. We just did guerrilla marketing everywhere. Um and we drummed up some business somehow, um, and that, that started when I was 16. And I did that all the way up until uh, my sophomore year of college at UMass when I ended up getting a scholarship for football. And my coach was like, you can't be on roofs and cutting trees down if you're on scholarship. Um, so I, I actually stopped that and, uh, and just focused primarily on uh, football at that point. Um, and then fast forward a few years, five or ten years I'm doing this now tons happen in between um, I guess when I became more serious about football um, I still worked I worked every year I was at UMass Amherst so my freshman year was I was redshirted and I worked the Blanche Flower con the college contracting company um, and was doing D1 football and class and it was really hard and I struggled with my academics my first two years because of that. Um, and luckily, I got the full ride my sophomore year, and that's when it stopped. Um, from there, uh, I was lucky enough to set a record at UMass and you know play some games, win win a few games. I wish I won more. Um, but uh, from there, we were, I was drafted uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2014. And while with Pittsburgh, I was practice squad my first year. And on my, in my second season, I got a really bad injury. Um, and I was medically disqualified from the NFL. Um, after that, I went out to Silicon Valley for a, uh, to work for a tech startup. And I was doing sales. Um, and I did well, but like I was uh, discussing with you earlier, I just felt like literally like a caged, like a lion or something. <laughs> like I went from burning 6,500 calories a day, five, six hours outdoors burning thousands of calories to working 10, 15 hours a day in a cubicle um, for about nine months. And I burnt out. I couldn't do it. My mental health was terrible. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't manage it. So I, uh, I told my parents I'm moving back home. Um, to my kind of like a, I called it my get right job where I just needed to kind of take I never took a vacation like my college people my friends went to spring break I never went to Panama Beach I never went down south I worked out and I worked so even after my sophomore year I told my coach I'm like I gotta make money 
you know, because I didn't, I just, that's how I was wired. So even my junior and my senior and my redshirt senior year, I was working for a landscaping company up at UMass, like the UMass Amherst Landscaping Company or something. Um, so I was still working that whole time. Um, lost my train of thought here a bit. But anyway, when I came back, my get right job was, um, was photography and video production. It's something I became passionate about after I came back from California. It was a hobby that wasn't that got me outside and was very healthy and super fun. I met a lot of people um, that didn't only view me as a football player. They were like weird artist people that I'd never like associated with. And they were just great. My sisters were both in theater growing up, you know, so I was like used to that, you know. Um, and I found a lot about myself and I met my wife that way. And I now have, you know, two kids and a great life with her. And um, when we got married, I realized I couldn't travel and you know do all that I was working for a travel company at the time and I couldn't do that I wasn't making enough money and I wasn't it wouldn't have been fair right so I decided I would get back to my roots and and started the construction company back up excellent and now going you know back to the beginning when you're 16 you're starting doing these kind of side jobs or odd jobs or whatever what was like the motivation there to get started with that it was money I needed money yeah, I uh, my I had a full ride to West Point and I had a partial scholarship to uh, Holy Cross and my parents thought I was nuts. They were like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're turning down free money." And I told them, "I really wanna, I really wanna go to the NFL and I'm gonna do my best to get there." And I needed money to pay for school, so that's what I did. I took out a loan and I got a job. Well, in a way, it's like you're you're giving up the money what like the quick payday kind of in the scholarship or in the them helping you get through school looking at down the road you're like deferring that like i'm yeah i'm gonna get to where i ultimately want to be but i'm gonna give this up now and just keep working and the harder i work hopefully Mm -hmm. the more it'll pay off down the line and my parents are great people. They were thinking I was crazy because I had a track record of doing stupid things. It wasn't like I was like, you know, I, I you know, they're the best. Um, but I, I get why they would have been a little weary of ma- me making that decision at 17, 18 years old. But, you know, it worked out and we're all happy. Well, I think parents always or you know, not always, for the most part, want the best they don't they want the best for you they don't always know what that is or you know like ultimately you're the one who has to decide what's best for you when my daughter and son are 18 i don't think i'll think they know what's best for them either so (laughs) (laughs) um so now you're working what what was your football career like like when you were young Mm -hmm. i know you played i'm sure like pop warner in into high school what what were things like then so People, unless they played with me, didn't know this. I was terrible at football. I started when I was 12 because, excuse me, I played soccer. And I liked soccer, but I just kept getting... I loved to ski and play soccer. That's Those are my two biggest passions growing up. And then when I was 12, I just it got too big. And everyone's like, you got to play football. So I'm like, all right, I'll play football. And I was very much so, like, kind of pushed in that direction by friends and family and everyone. Every guy in Lemus, they were like, that guy's got to play football. He's a big kid. So I did. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. What were so you, you were playing, this is like before high school? Where That's you're 12. like 12, yeah, yeah. So you switch over, you start playing football, and you liked it? or? Oh, yeah, I was terrible, but I enjoyed the camaraderie. 
I hated the uh, when I first started. I was used to like you know pretty gentle sports. I was not used to the in-your-face constant physical clashing and pain and yelling. I was it wasn't you know I was a tough kid, but I wasn't used to it. Um, then when I got into high school, I started to grow even more, and the hormones or something. I was I loved it. I like loved the. It was my outlet to get all the aggression about anything that if I stubbed my toe that morning, I was taking it out on the other guy. Like, it was like a perfect outlet for me. Start so. to get a little testosterone in your system. That must have been it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Now and through when like what was the point where you realized like this isn't you know most people play high school football and they know that's it you know mm. this is well hopefully I get a good four years playing you know hopefully I maybe I catch catch a couple touchdown passes. Yeah. When did you start to realize like hey this may go beyond just like my senior year of high school. I found that out my senior year of high school. When I was playing, there was no, I didn't have highlight tapes. There was very little game tape, if any. Um, I was not actively being recruited. I was not like a, like I went to a few camps, but I was not being actively recruited very much until my senior year when I went to a camp and I got a few offers and then, uh, you know, I never told anyone when I was in high school that I wanted to play D1 football or go to the NFL. Never. All I said was I want to work hard and go to school. And, you know, the tagline that the school and the that parents typically tell you to say, right? I just want to work hard and, and go to college. Right. But deep down, that's what I wanted, and that's when I told them. And they were like, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's funny. But um, looking, it's funny. I don't reflect on this at all, so it's kind of great talking about this with you because I it's unbelievable that I really never think about what I was thinking as a senior in high school but it's true I never told anyone like I never I didn't wear gloves I didn't put eye paint on I, didn't, I was very non-flashy I just went out and played and my senior year that's when I started getting recruited and then in college after my junior season that's when I realized I was like I think I'm going to the NFL you know people would tell me as a freshman oh you're going to the league and I was like Nah, dude, trying to be modest. But then my junior year, I was like, I think I'm really going. I think I'm going to do it. And now what did that look like throughout college? Like I know you so you were working up until your sophomore year doing side jobs. Then mm -hmm. you get a scholarship, and they're like, that hey. That was the coolest day of my life. What was that like? Um, I was sitting in the training room at UMass, and the coach was Kevin Morris at the time. And uh, Coach Picucci, who was like – my hero growing up, he's a Lemonster native. He actually um, recruited me to UMass. He was the New England recruiter or whatever. And uh, so he's like, hey, go in the locker room. Coach wants to talk to you. All right. So he's like, go get taped up and he'll come find you. So I go get taped up. You tape your ankles every practice. And Coach Morris sits down next to me. And I'm a redshirt freshman at the time, so sophomore academically. And I'm, my heart was like pounding because you're still young, right? And you're like, at, I, don't know, I was like 18, 19 years old, so I was still kind of intimidated by the upperclassmen and some of the coaches and stuff, and uh, he's like asking me a few questions about my day, and I'm like, this is really weird. Am I about to get cut? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, by the way, I want to let you know that you've been working really hard. I want to reward you with a full scholarship, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. I'm getting happy just thinking about it, just how happy I was. <laughs> Such a good feeling.
well, it's like all that work, like you work and you work and you work and you're working, not, not just working hard on the field, but you're also working hard trying to make money to pay for the opportunity to be there. Yeah. I think they saw that. They probably saw that, but I don't think most people do that. So, Plus it gives you, you know, from their perspective, potentially it gives you, you know, they're looking at it's like, well, this kid's splitting his time. He's this good at football and he's taken how much time to go work. What if we can just get him to put all that energy right back onto the field? Yeah, that's a great point too. Yeah, that's probably what – and they did mention that they didn't like that I was cutting trees down. So That's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So – so then going into, you know, as you go through college ball, what does it look like getting ready to go to the NFL? Or when did that start to materialize as like, I think this is really going to happen? Yeah, again, my junior year, um, I had a couple games like over 100,000 yards or, or not 100,000, over 100 yards. Um, and I think my last game of the year was a, I actually um, tore a ligament in my ankle in the game, uh, and I still had like 100-something yards against the guy who got drafted that year, a safety from Central Michigan. Um, and it was at Gillette, and there was a bunch of scouts there. And then that's when, after that game, pretty much immediately I started getting calls from, I don't know, people. I don't know, like scouts, and they come to the practices, and people call yourself trying to ask you questions. And, and I was like, this is weird. People... Boston Globe wants to come interview him like you know I was never the star so it was cool um I did I did have you know I enjoyed that aspect of things it was nice to be the the star it was cool right and now I don't I don't know if you we've mentioned this yet or what but your your position was tight end right yeah I was a so, tight end okay yep. yeah. so I I was I'm about six five and at the time in like I graduated I was like 270 275 so I was a big boy I'm like 240 now so imagine another 30 pounds 35 pounds a muscle of, I was I was like 35 pounds heavier and 10 percent body fat less wow I was in a much different form um but I'll tell you my hips hurt a lot less when I'm not banging to people every day I'm like my, my you know, I still have the aches and pains, but uh, I mean, it's not like construction is an easy job either, but uh, comparatively, I, it's nice. I like to be outside and working and working. I like hard work. I don't know what it is. That's a good thing. I, th I think that that's like a, a like human animal thing. It's like you're meant to be at, like moving, doing something yeah. all day. No, it's true. We'll, we'll get to this in a little bit like once we get there chronologically but we can talk a little bit about what, like how the office affected that um for you and how you know the oh going from effect. yeah football right exactly. to corporate um no that's fine yeah i psychologically i was not the only stimulation that i was getting i was used to getting a hundred percent physical stimulation and mental stimulation, but that mental stimulation was constant. Like when you're, you know, like playing a high level football, it's very, very mental. Like the speed at which things happen and change is from high school to college is, you know, very, very intense. And from college to the NFL is like, can't explain it. It's like you have to know everything that's happening on the field all the time. And in order to do that, you watch a ton of tape. But like, Three hours of tape is not the same as 15 hours in front of a computer screen. 
you know, I just think something about it wasn't good for me. Um, and not to mention, you know, the injury that took me out of football was concussions. So post-concussion syndrome with tons of computer screen is not a good combination. So plus lack of sleep, you know, it just wasn't for me, my competitive nature and like drive was actually, um, you know, something that caused me to fail there, right? Like I could have continued. I know I could have done it, but I chose to to stop there because I was just like, this is not for me, you know? Now, you feel like that was a time in your life where you kind of had to take your foot off the gas and let your body and mind recover oh, yeah. to I have I actually just started doing cardio this year I have not touched weights in three years four years I, I don't want to I was like I need to get back to that primal thing you're talking about I really want to get back to like where Rob is supposed to be naturally like I'm not supposed to be 280 you know right. I would have to literally force feed calories to myself because I didn't want to eat like I would have to eat an extra pancake every day I don't want to eat the pancakes anymore <laughs> I got a piece of couple pieces of toast and I'm out the door like I'm good I don't need a five-course breakfast and a five-course lunch. You know, it's crazy right. what the amount of calories you eat. Um, so I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely really grateful to be where I am because I don't, I honestly don't think I'd be, you know, if I kept gutting it out with, um, with football, if I just kept getting concussions, God knows where I'd be. I mean, I'm really grateful that I got out when I got out. Yeah, no. So going, I guess, leading up to that. So you're you're at UMass. You start getting calls. Um, clearly, there's interest. The Boston Globe's reaching out. You realize, like, maybe I'm going to the league. What happens leading up to that? And what is it like, you know, for you getting drafted? So it's very intense. Like, because... So when you go, when you're at that level, right... Not only do you get those phone calls and everything, but now in the age of like social media and everything, it's like everyone knows no matter what. So, um, like I remember in college, I had like this guy that would like follow me everywhere. My senior I was out on like a date one time. He just like showed up next to us because like he found me on Facebook or something. I don't know. It was really strange. So I deleted Facebook back then. I haven't turned it back on. Um, but yeah, so like weird stuff like that. Also. Um, dealing with, you know, people that just want to be around you because they think you're going to the NFL. Um, so that was different because I'm a small-town, you know, Lemister guy. I just wasn't – it was a, a lot of big changes uh, that way. Physically and mentally with football, nothing changed. It was the same objective. It was work as hard as you can and don't go on vacation. And um, I, I actually tore a couple muscles in my abdomen and, and my groin because I guess it's all connected – my senior year so I only played in eight games and after my last game I was like I, I think I had one more game in the season left and I just told my coach I'm like I need surgery I can't I can't not get surgery one more day like I was I wasn't even practicing I was just playing in games towards the end it was really really bad so I got I got my surgery right before the combine um, and that was tough because I wanted to run at the combine really bad but I still got invited I still got invited to like the all-star game in Alabama um, so, I mean, I still got to go to all those things and experience them. I just couldn't play them, right? And I couldn't run in it. So that definitely was hard for me because I hurt my draft stock. 
Um, and I also had to go into camp basically a couple weeks off of a surgery. So that was a tough part of my rookie year and the transition to the NFL. Yeah, so just what, what was it like as far as the events and feelings when you actually got, when you found out you're getting drafted? Oh, man, I was pumped. I mean, we had a huge party at my house. All the neighbors were there, and I was on a plane the next day. But that night, yeah, I was, like, just so happy. Like, you know, I got a big hug from my mom and dad. They couldn't believe it. Everybody was so excited. And it just felt really good to, like, kind of, like, honor my family in a way. To be, like, kind of give... I don't know. It felt good for me that I'm um, like that I could kind of honor the Blanche Flower name in a way. But and I think it it made me really happy for my parents too, who might have been a little nervous about everything. Um, but yeah, it was well, great. There's something rewarding too, I think, about when you have people like your parents that obviously love you and they care about you, and they're saying, "Hey, you should probably do this this way," mm. and you say, "No, I'm, I'm going to do it my own way." And then it works. And you're like, see? Oh, that definitely felt good. I never said anything, but I might have said something since then. But <laughs> Well, just it's rewarding to be like, it's, it, to see it all come to fruition and be like, it's all this hard work, all the, the you know, nights in the weight room, early morning practices, yeah. all this stuff. Like, it, this is exactly what I was trying to do, whether you said it out loud or not. You know, you felt it, and then you made it happen. Yeah, no, it was, I've definitely overcame a lot. With injury, I mean, my senior year, I probably already had two. I already had one hip operation, and I got two more after that. So, I mean, I would I would already gone through injury there, three coaching staffs, terrible things <laughs> in my junior and senior year that um, were really hard for all the all the guys on my team, you know. So, and then you're on a plane to Pittsburgh. Literally, they call you, right? So I'm at, I'm talk, I'm, you know, you get a call. So I, I was supposed to go in like the fifth round. So after the fifth round, I was kind of like, damn, I hope I get drafted. But then my agents call me like, every couple of minutes, like this is about to happen. This is about to happen. Then I don't get picked. So I'm like, okay. So I started getting nervous. So I went upstairs, to another room to watch the round seven by myself because I'm like, if I'm not picked, I'll be so sad and like, you know, I would have left. My parents wouldn't it didn't expect me to get drafted. I wouldn't have let them down, but I was thinking all this stuff. And then I got a call from uh, Mike Tomlin. And he was just like, Hey, it's Mike Tomlin. Going to the, you wanna go to, you wanna be a Pittsburgh Steel? I'm like, Hell yeah, I wanna be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, and then the Rooney's got on, my position coach, the offensive coordinator, the whole the own like everyone gets on the phone. It's like, Hey, you're a Steeler now, blah blah. It was a pretty cool experience. Like, you know, once a stealer, always a stealer. I will say that is true. Like, I still get, you know, a lot of love on the internet, even though I didn't play a single down. You know, I would say Steeler Nation was probably the best place I could ever gotten drafted to. They were, like, amazing out there. Like, how serious the fans are and how yeah. much they love everybody, no matter what. I'm like, just like, a, I, yeah, I really loved it out there. So you had a good experience with your time there. Absolutely. I mean, people immediately assume when you say, yeah, I got drafted. Oh, you get any playing time? Nah. Like, they immediately assume, oh, you went out and you weren't that good and you left. It's like, I was pretty good. You know, I, I had a shot. I was running with the twos and threes my second year. My my rookie year, I was did not have a shot. I'll tell you that. Coming off those surgeries, I just was not prepared 
physically I was not like my senior, my junior year of college. I felt like I was in better shape than when I was a rookie in the NFL because the surgery I had was a big deal. It's like seven different muscles. It's like all connected at the pelvis. I had a stress fracture in my pelvis my senior year. Like it was pretty pretty brutal. Uh, but my soft my sophomore year, second year in the NFL, I was like really, I was definitely in the best shape of my life. There's no question about it. Like, um, it just, I don't think my, I just wasn't ready. My brain like couldn't handle it. I just had too many concussions. Now talk a little bit about that. Can you explain like how, I mean, obviously football, high impact sport, there's been a lot of talk, especially in like the last 10 years about concussions, CTE, what did it look like for you as far as how that started to evolve and when did you start to realize like something's changing or something's not right with the concussions was in yeah. college for sure i definitely remember getting my first really serious concussions in in college to the point where it concerned me but that's when the money and the phone calls start calling i never received money but like the money's calling like there's people calling you getting in your ear telling you oh well, you know you got to do this and this and this um, and you should be, you know, doing this and this to open, you know, certain. It's a very tempting. Like I, I had a coach ask me, do you want to Now I'm not saying which level of it could have been anywhere. I'm not saying where it came from. Um, but I had a coach one time say to me, you could live until you're 50 years old, but you play 10 years in the NFL or you never play. You never get drafted. You don't. You stop playing college football, and that's it. You just move on. You go work a regular job. And I was like, I'll go for the NFL. Yeah. When I was like 18, but you don't know. You don't understand at that age. And then by the time you're 20, 21, it happens like that. And the only thing you know is football, and it's over. The chance that it, you know. So, my heart breaks for a lot of people who would, you know, deal with the long-term consequences of it um, that, you know, maybe didn't get out soon enough. And what were the consequences for you, like, in the short term that started to make you, like, how'd you end up getting medically disqualified? I was, uh, I, you know, was blacking out. I had a couple seizures and had really bad vision. I have perfect vision right now, and I had perfect vision before, but I was having episodes where I couldn't see, and I was driving. He's like, you can't have that. Uh, my roommate actually, f like, found me in the shower. I had passed out in the shower. So, I mean, it had been gotten very serious. And they just wanted me to, you know, go to practice the next day, like, concussion protocol, put some sunglasses on. And I said, no, man, I need a neurologist. Like, I woke up on the floor, so I need a neurologist. Not, I'm not going to practice tomorrow. <laughs> and... That's when I went to the neurologist. I actually uh, had talked to Heath Miller about it the night before because he had noticed something was up with me. And he was a great guy. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, maybe he felt threatened by you. I can tell you right now, he did not, nobody could threaten him because he was he's a Hall of Fame tight end. doesn't matter if the best tight end came in, he's staying and I'm going, you know. Um, he was just like a really great guy she's like a really down-to-earth guy I mean like I was there for Christmas I was there for Thanksgiving for two years like no matter what I had a place to go you know 
no matter, like always made sure I had a place to go for Christmas. Always made sure I had a place to go for Thanksgiving. And I went to him and I was just like, dude, I'm having this. Yeah, it's like I think it's concussions. And he's just like, yeah, man, you should talk to the trainers. It's not worth it. You know? And I think a lot of the older guys know because, you know, they, I mean, look at, you know, Junior Seau and how many guys do that every year. Right. I mean, like, I encourage you to look up the stats. There's, there's a pretty high uh, rate of that. So, and something that was largely ignored by it still the is league, ignored by people. You know, no opinion. one wants to hear that. The pe- not you know the people mean the, people that watch don't want to hear it. Right, cause, exactly. Because they want to watch it. It's right. like, you know. So, I drive a truck, but I complain about global warming. Right. You know, I do have a I have a hybrid for my wife. I need the truck, but still I do feel guilty. It's like same thing. Like you complain, oh the NFL's racist, the NFL's homophobic. Remember the stuff with the guy my the guy uh I forget his name. Is it Mike, was, Michael Sam? Sam, yeah, about? Michael Sam. Yeah. And he was I actually he was a nice guy. When we all all the rookies um at the combine like went out together and he was generous and a decent guy. But um yeah, you remember it's very like scandalous or whatever, all the homophobic stuff. But it's like, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's tough because the consumer drives where the company goes, and right, the and consumer doesn't really want to hear that football can't happen. Nobody right. wants to f- watch a flag football Super Bowl. They want <laughs> that's a perfect way to put it. <laughs> they want to watch two people smash heads. So, unfortunately, until the American appetite for it kind of goes away. Well, not unfortunately. I think it's a great sport. I love it, but definitely room for improvement. Right. Always room for improvement with everything. Yeah. And now, so after this meeting or multiple meetings with the neurologist, you realize, like, it's time to change direction here and move on to something else? Yeah, so I had the I had met with a guy in, at Harvard for, like, two years for, like, every other every week for a year and every other week for another year so it's for two years and he's the guy who literally cut hernandez's brain in half like that's the guy that guys that go have what i have go to after the nfl and he helped me a great deal um and he had got me to go to therapy for the first time never did that i was like oh this is nice it took me a long time to get used to it but it worked for me because i use a lot of things i just didn't know how to do when people think therapy, they think it's like you're crying on a pillow. It's like, no, I literally didn't know how to organize my day because I, like, I just, and it's like I can call my mom at 25 and be like, hey, Ma, how do I organize my day? She's like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. You well, know, it's almost like going, I think therapy is almost like going to the gym for your brain. Right. And you're like exercising your thoughts yeah. and emotions and figuring out. Yeah. Like you can't just walk into a supermarket and level somebody because they cut you off. Like you, like you can in football. Like you got to, you got to like chill and like, go get your hamburger and leave you know you, so it's a it was a you know we're conditioned to be as big and fast and scary and physical as possible but then when you exit that world you don't really fit in <laughs> there's no place in society for a 6 280 tight end who's ticked off like it, it, you just go to jail right <laughs> you know so you, you have to like you have to adjust big time. And I, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that. It wasn't like I was going out and getting in fights. It's just like, I wasn't, I, it was like, a, it was like being on a 
in a bubble for 10 years and coming out. Well, and you're what, 20, like 25 at this point? Yeah. So you're not even really like not. Even if you legally, had, but yeah, even if you had like not gone the football route and got, you know, just gotten a degree and gotten a job, you'd still be like really trying to figure out your the life. world and your life. Yeah. But I would have had a couple of years like, yeah, I just would have, I just feel like when you're in that, at that level of any sport, you lose a lot of sense of reality, like what the normal person is going through. Like what are just a regular everyday guy is going through you just totally lose sight of that because you're not it sounds arrogant but you're just not regular like life is not nor that is not a normal life when we talked a little bit before about how a lot of things are either like done for you or pre pre-planned pre-organized oh, yeah. so how did you what was it like kind of getting making that transition back into the real world well like i said it took it it took a while. It took like two years. Me, you know, doing what I had to do. You know, I kind of took a hiatus from career searching and just did what I had to do to to get right. And that's when I started doing photo and video because I I was in the beginning of my post concussion stuff. I couldn't remember anything. I missed every appointment. I would flake on friends and family. I just couldn't remember stuff. Um, and so I took pictures of everything. Because I was wicked scared. I would never remember it. And then my memory came back, but I just had this habit of taking pictures. And then I was, like, showing people, like, dude, this is, like, a good picture. <laughs> Not like, like, the angle looks good or the, you know, composition of it is nice. And I ended up, just ended up doing portrait photography for a few friends of mine that were models. And then it turned into, like, me doing more video work. And I got some pretty good contracts and experience. But, like I said, when it came down to, like, putting food on the table there's no you know there's no messing around with that right especially you you got a family that's what i mean provide yeah when i was a bachelor it was like man i could have done that for 20 years and i i didn't need any money i i like stopped you know buying things and you know, i didn't feel the need to like consume as much like i didn't need to eat a hundred dollars of food a day Right. You know, you don't have to weigh 285 anymore. You know, I, I like didn't value nice clothes as much as like I just would buy a Hanes tea that cost 10 bucks instead of 25, like or whatever. It's like just little things that I started changing the way I thought and trying to get back to like, it's funny you said the primal thing. I always joke about that with my wife because I, I just really require very little. I just need food, sleep and family and purpose, really. Yeah, I was gonna say work, but purpose is really like a better way of putting that. And that's what that's what my job now is. I mean, obviously, my family is my highest sense of purpose, and then you know, I would say providing for them is part of that. So, um, yeah, right now that same kind of drive and like addictive pair personality to like how I was I was very much so addicted to working out and high stimulation activities. Um, so I basically just do that with construction stuff. You know, what, what's the best materials or what's the best product for the roof? What's the best product for the siding? What's the best window out there? What's the best door? You know, and I just nerd out about it and I have a lot of fun. Now, when you started at like now, so you 
we're doing the photography. You realize, like, I got to make this switch. You had done the construction before, but kind of different than how you're doing it now well yeah now i would say is a completely like legitimate and professionally run business whereas before i was just flying by the seat of my pants no receipts you know just (laughs) like no organization like you know just totally winging it so let's talk a little bit about that like as far as building up the legitimate side of things how did you start what were like the first jobs like and where'd you go from there so when I said um, when I was going to get back into construction, when I left California and did the photography, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to, you know, just start a construction company, right? Like, I can't do that. You know, I've worked for myself um, and I know how general construction works. But what I was doing before wasn't a specialty general con- contractor. It was you were I was doing, like you said, odd jobs. I would do a couple roofs a summer and I would do some tree work and landscaping and you know demo gutters random random stuff whereas now it's more you know um to say like for instance like you were asking what are your first jobs um i actually worked in a sales position for a large company before i started my own i wanted to learn the sales side of things because i trusted i could execute it i just didn't know if i could fill the sales funnel so um i went out and I worked in a for a really good company uh, for two years doing uh, a sales role. It was like an estimator, but I learned a ton. Um, and after a few years, after those two years, I just went to my boss and told him, like, it, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing. And he was nothing but supportive. He knew what was coming, and he was just happy for me. And And that was that. And now you start what like what is that sales process look like for you or like the marketing side of things as far as how you're reaching your customers? A lot of it comes from word of mouth, just people that are, you know, I did a good job for them and they want to refer people uh, business to me, which is great. Um, at first, those first jobs I got had come from Home Advisor, which was kind of sketchy. Cost a lot. It costs a lot, but you know, um, it's kind of like a necessary evil in the beginning to get the ball rolling, and then it's kind of like a uh, what is a self fulfilling prophecy type of thing after that. Just kind of like it starts to snowball, and then um, I think that one thing I do well, not to brag or whatever, but I guess one thing I would do well, I would say I do well is um, I do honestly feel good about my job. <laughs> Um, so I, I really do install the best stuff, um, and I have a great crew. I only have one crew that I work with, um, and uh, it's just me and them, and we do mostly roofs, um, roofs and vinyl, and then whenever it's, um, whenever it's something like deck, windows, doors, then I have one framer, him and I do it. So um, if, it's a, if it's like a huge deck and it requires more hands, then we get more, but um, typically when it comes to our bread and butter, which is roofing and siding, probably 80% of our workload is roofing and siding. Um, it's, a, it's typically a crew of eight, it takes about a day. Um, but we try to keep everything super clean. I'm very, I try to over communicate with customers because the biggest issues I've seen from other companies is that there's very little customer service in, in construction. It's pretty brick and mortar still, like low tech and kind of like 
grumpy guys that would hang out with my dad and and my dad smoke cigarettes yeah. and throw it on someone's front yard <laughs> but uh no no like I, i'm totally joking like obviously like the old timers are great i just joke around with them no but it's a different world they come it's just from a, a different, different time world. yeah it's a different time and i think that um the one thing that i was really really adamant about was doing something that i knew would be safe no matter what happened with how volatile everything is right now and just like like every day is a dumpster fire so um i just through talking with a lot of people um they were like yeah construction's pretty solid like could people, be in a better business people always build right houses now. and people always need a roof you know um but the other thing that was really attractive to me is that, like the average contractor in the u.s is like 60 or 58 or something like that so there's a lot of there's a lot of room for someone like me or you in this, you know, in this field uh, to really kind of take take over the next kind of generation because, you know, it's competitive. It's a very competitive field, um, and there, are, you know, a lot of people doing it. But I think you can, if you do good work, install good products, and have pretty much just like work on a good moral compass, people will come back to you and, and tell friends about you and. It'll work out well, and I think now, like I, you know, you've got a problem in basically all the trades right now, where when you and I were growing up, it's like go to college, get a real job. Oh my god, I wanted to go to CTE so bad. Same, and and my mom wouldn't. My mom and dad, they were like, nope, you're going to college. Right, and I, you know, I grew up with my dad with the business, you know, wrenching on cars and stuff with him throughout my entire life, and thinking like this is what I want to do. They pushed so hard for me to not do that, to go to college. Here I am. Do it, you know, back. I did go to college, but I came back. Um, but you've got all these kids that were pushed into that route, and now you, you don't have enough tradespeople. And, like, right now, if you want to be a successful tradesman, it's honestly, like, answer your phone and go to the job. <laughs> like, that's, like... That's eighty percent of it right there because there's really I, I'm building a, a building right now a new shop for my business and it's like such a struggle to get contractors and these are people I know and it's just like there's so much lead time that they have between work they're backed up with materials that are backed up as yeah. we were talking about before how long it's taken to get stuff I mean it's a tough racket right now I mean like there's a lot going on for everyone right in every field no matter what but I feel like with construction it's like you give out a quote, and it used to be good for, what, a year? I don't know. But the price of lumber has gone up 100 250%, and then back down to 70%, and then back up to 100 you, you know, if you give a guy a piece of paper with the proposal on it, and it's, and it's valid for a year, and then six months from now, or even three weeks from now, or a week from now, it could be a completely different price. It could be 10 times what you were thinking it was going to be. And if you're building a house or something, and you've That's got, I mean. yeah, you've got a okay. This is what the house is going to cost, and then your just material price is just so chewing away in you, your margin. I would say that it's um, it's been a great first year, but it's also been very chaotic, just because, you know, if you got into this ten years ago, you didn't have to worry. So, or I'm sure there's always been issues. I don't want to feel like we're like some type of special scenario, but uh, it's been definitely pretty crazy. You know, it's been definitely wild. And it's just a matter, I think, of like. Being the you know the ones that are successful are gonna look at these issues and just be like, all right, so what do we do? 
you know, instead of looking at it and being like, oh, this is, you can't make a buck, you can't do like, and complaining, you look at it as like, so how are we going to make this work? And yeah, start to work around one way problems. to go, right? You got to go up because you can't, the other way is bad. You right. can't be doing the other way. So it is, you got to be definitely flexible and like a hybrid player, like a rover or a H-back, you know. <laughs> you know, you can't be one-dimensional right now because it's, it's a really volatile market. The communication thing is huge, too. It's, like, interesting that you touched on that. And I think part of it is because of the society we live in is so, like, inst- like you can you order something on Amazon, you can track it the entire way to your door, and, mm. you know. So you're used to just getting that feedback right away. And now the customers want to know, like, well, wh- when are you going to be here? Like, wh- what's – yeah? Wh- how long is this going to take? Like, what – you know, and they want that information. And if you can kind of, like, comfort that anxiety on – the customer end of things, I think it it speaks volumes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, and it's like you really have to be mindful that that's their house. Like, <laughs> so, like if we're doing like if we're doing Windows, and I tell you it's nine weeks, and then I get a call at the eight week mark from, you know, the window guy, and he's like, hey, by the way, those windows they're actually ten weeks out. I have to call the customer, and they're not happy, and it's not my fault, but I have to eat it because. <laughs> Right. That's my job. So um, things like that happen every day. It's not just windows. It's You could just be looking for aluminum drip edge one day, and for some reason every store in New England doesn't have aluminum drip edge for that one Tuesday that you happen to go to the store, and then you go tomorrow and there's 100 million of them. But that's the day you needed it. So right. one day I had, I had a customer, uh, all the materials got there. The only thing that was missing was a skylight, or two skylights, I'm sorry, but they were supposed to be on the pallet, and they were in Connecticut. So... I got to go to Connecticut because my customer's roof's going to get ripped off this morning. I can't not rip the roof off. I already have it in the production schedule. So, you know, sometimes you got to drive to Connecticut on a, like that at six in the morning because that's just what it takes. Job's got to get done. Yeah. So, um, you know, things like that happen all the time. Lucky enough, I like, you know, the high, like I like the, sti- the high stimulation, like the, the high pressure game. Like I'm, I'm into it, you know. Now, as far as like the structure of the business goes, obviously, you know, you're working and are you also like, what are the roles do you play? Like as far as sales and stuff like that, are you still like utilizing that skill set that you learned? Yeah. So if you call, I'll, if you need a, a roof, Tim, I'll show up and I'll come estimate your roof. <laughs> so um, th- that's my job uh, until I get to the point where I don't need to do that. I'll be doing it. So um, cross that bridge when we get to it, but. For now, I do estimating, production, I clean the trash, I do the books. I, I mean, my wife is um, a great help to me, but um, we're both learning together. So neither one, of, neither one of us has too much experience with things like, you know, QuickBooks or, I don't know, all of it. Yeah, I so I was going to ask, like, you know, kind of what's her involvement with the business as well? So, tip, like, things like pulling permits and calling, um, coordinate. So, her role is uh, operations manager. So, it's the way, as the company operates, I can't be everywhere all the time. Um, and she's great with, you know, coordinating, um, you know, dumpster pickup and drop off. Same with, we have dumpster and porta potty at every job. Um, we want to make sure everything's. Uh, clean on the job site so we have to always call those in and out um, invoicing you know follow up with customers you know asking for things like reviews and whatnot 
So there's a kind of a endless stream of uh, busy work for the both of us. Um, but I would just say she's we have a three year old, so um, she spends a lot of time being a mother, which is like her number one job, and she's number one draft pick mom. So that's great to hear. Yeah, she's great. And you know, as we talked about earlier too, it's like your company, regardless of size. You know, you look compared to like a big company where there's all these different jobs. Like your smaller company, or even if it's just like a one-man operation, all those jobs are still there. You're just doing all of them. So it's like you're, you've got to wear these multiple hats and be able to, you know, maybe you're doing invoicing in the, at night and taking care of that, but then you're running to Connecticut at 6 a.m. grabbing a skylight. Yeah, no, you, you got to wear a lot of hats, and you can't have an ego because, like, you know, guys with egos don't pick up trash off the floor on someone's front yard. Like, they, if they see something blowing, I go pick it up. Um, so you got to wear, you got to clean, you got to be the CEO, and you got to be the secretary, and you you have to do everything. Uh, and it's exhausting some days, but you know, a couple weeks ago it was terrible weather and things were slow, and I just kind of did min- not. There wasn't too much to do. Like I was still working, but it was there. There are slow days, but you know, for the most part, it's pretty high. High energy, high uh, high test stuff. Well, it's nice to have those days because it's going to be pretty soon July. It's going to be like <laughs> 98 gonna... degrees and you're on a roof and yeah. you're going to be thinking back to that day where you just had like, you only worked like four hours. Right, so exactly. good. No, everyone in construction, as you know, deserves time in the winter to recoup because it's tough physically and mentally and you burn out. And But different from a Silicon Valley burnout, it's the type of burnout that I can, that I like, you know. In the winter, like I found, I you know, I my business follows a similar seasonality, but the winter is like the time where you can plan for the year, make adjustments to the business itself, not just like adjustments. So I got to go here today, I got to go there today. Yeah. It's like, how are we going to change this system and permanently or like temporarily until it changes again, do it this way to make our lives easier? Because those are the types of things you don't have time to stop and think about. I know. Yeah, like this winter has been very tempting to buy a dumpster instead of rent them. But year one, you got to be frugal. So my consigliere has has instructed me to wait. But you know, you think about a lot about the things that you want to do, right? Like, um, like what type of what zip code you want to work in, or like maybe you look at last year's record and say, I did really great in these ten towns and terrible in these three. So I'm not going to those three. I'm only gonna like right now. Uh, those are some of the things that I think about. Uh, another thing is like which products you're going to offer, right? So, are we going to do roofing, siding, windows, doors, decks forever, um, or is that something that worked in year one and might not work in year two or three? Um, so those are things we think about. Um, Catherine and I talk about them every day, uh, but I guess time will tell. I know for certain decks siding and roofing are all things i really like to do those are all very fun for me i like those so those are the ones i'm definitely gonna no matter what those are gonna be around now do you have a vision for like size of the business or any anything else as far as like where it's going in the future what you'd like to grow it into you know that it's something i think about um but really part of my I don't know if I am a success, but to, for me to be like where I am today has been to take just everything one day at a time, plan ahead, like think about the future and be ready for it. But like 
I can't invest too heavily in um, in springtime because we don't know what springtime is going to look like, right? So today is is where my feet are, and uh, that's where I'm trying to keep my head to. I find as you grow the business, or like at least as I've grown, you know, my dad and I's business, and he was following a trajectory where, you know, he's 68, he did it for 50 years, and he was tapering down and ending until I came and got involved, so I'm trying to go back up in the other direction, and you can't, it's very difficult to visualize or imagine, like, the real issues or situations that you're going to be in until you're in them, because when you go from, like, here, your revenue is, like, X, and then the next year it's double that, you, it's hard to see that, like, oh, here's a problem that I'm going to have down the line. No, yeah, exactly. And with how crazy everything's been with, like, pricing and, you know, inflation, and labor shortages and everything you can think of, um, super grateful to be in the position I'm in uh, and have the people that, you know, work for me work for me and the customers that I have. And, um, you know, I'm actively, you know, still actively looking for customers and advertising and, you know, going to appointments and making sales and things, um, trying to load up the queue for the spring. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely thinking about that dumpster, man. <laughs> That's something I like, I used to fantasize about totally different things. Now it's like vans and ladder racks and, and, uh, and dump trucks. Hey, life changes. Yeah. Trippy. Now, with, you know, you've had a, a, a very unique journey, obviously, with yeah. the different things that you've had, that you've done in your life, that you've achieved, and different things that have happened to you, like, outside of your control. Mm. What would you say to someone who's, like, maybe in a position where they're down or, like, you know, similar to where you were when you were leaving the NFL, not by choice, you yeah. worked so hard to, like, achieve this dream, and then through you know really through no fault of your own it gets taken away from you what would you say to someone who's in that type of position i would just say that it sucks and i'm sorry <laughs> but um you know i'm grateful that my my you know rock bottom was where it was i know people that have been you know had been through some really 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 hard uh, moments and I, you should never compare because really struggle is relative like you know to to that person um but i would just say that um i've definitely fallen flat on my face a bunch of times and it i you know you just got to get back up and you got to get up and, and keep going but it's like being at peace with just this is where i'm supposed to be like there's no other place that i should be than right here and uh I believe that anyone that goes through life that way will will find like happiness and 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 be able to get back to you know I'm well beyond where I was as far as like my happiness meter like I was at like I thought I was at 100% capacity but I'm well beyond that now I you know the gifts that I've been granted since then have been 100 times more valuable to me but they're nowhere near as sexy as getting drafted, but having a family and, you know, 
coming out the other side is a very rewarding thing. Um, and if I can do it, anyone can do it. I think that's a perfect place to leave it, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate Great. you coming down, taking the time to talk to me, sharing a little bit of your story. Thanks, really, for, thanks for having me. Glad to do it. Maybe we can do it again sometime. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us. We do this to share the stories of some of the incredible individuals in your community. All we ask in return is if you found value from this episode, please share it with someone else who may also gain value from the show. Please feel free to rate or review the show. Your feedback helps us give you more of what you want. Until next time, I'm Tim Lanza, and this was another Local Legacy.